I'm Will Primos, and you're listening to the Fochi Creek Podcast. This is Cody Robbins from Live to Hunt with Cody and Kelsey, and you're listening to Joby and Shed with the Fochi Creek Podcast. You're listening to Joby and Shed on Fochi Creek Podcast. You're listening to Joby and Shed on the Fochi Creek Podcast. It's not as good to speak the language, but it's close. (laughs) (laughs) This has been Rising with Whitetail Edge. You're listening to Foshi Creek Podcast with Shed and Joby. This is Austin Delano with Mossy Oak Biologic and Gamekeepers, and you're listening to Joby and Shed Whitaker on Foshi Creek Podcast. You're listening to the Foshi Creek Podcast. I'm Joby Holland. With me is Dustin Shed Whitaker of Mossy Oak. Today, going to visit with Shed a little bit about early season hunting. Uh, Shed just got back from uh, Sheridan, Wyoming on, a, on an early season whitetail hunt, so kind of want to get started just to Shed, to hear about your hunt, kind of what's been going on with you, anything new at Mossy Oak, and whatever's been going on in your life here lately, just uh, let you get it started. I've absolutely done nothing. <laughs> <laughs> How was I've that? been good. Yeah, Wyoming, Wyoming was good. Now you've been, a nice year out there. Now, you've been going, I think, Wyoming. I, I believe it starts September the 1st. A lot of seasons starting. Is that right when their season opens? Yeah, I think theirs was September 1st, and then we were the last group out there. So that, uh, I guess it went out the 30th, 29th or 30th of September, bow season. And then um, they'll start, he's got gun hunters coming, and and he had antelope hunters coming in. And they do some elk hunts out there, too. But it, it, it was, it's kind of weird that, that the ranch we were hunting on, if you're a kind of a cattle person or, or a, a ranch person, it was the original ranch where the Red Angus cattle breed was started. And so, so you probably ate that up, didn't you? Yeah. Um, that was pretty interesting. Uh, looking at all the, you know, the old barns and, and, and the cattle that were out there was a good many. I think the, the place we were hunting on was right at about 20,000 acres. It's right on the base of the Bighorn mountains, right outside of Sheridan, Wyoming. So beautiful place. But the kind of the interesting thing about it, and yeah, I really haven't seen nothing in the media or really any of the, the hunting forums or anything, but the CWD is so bad out there. And he he brought up, the outfitter brought up, that he over 70% of the deer that they are testing are testing positive for it. And there was a lot of dead deer out there. There was deer in poor shape. So you kind of wonder... You know, he didn't know if he'd even have any deer in a couple of years because it was right? so bad. And I, you know, I, you know, some places the government kind of comes in and whacks a bunch of stuff. I, I was just amazed that it was that bad, and that uh, I mean, I don't really know what you you can do because you know, part of the issue out there is they've been in a drought for almost two years. So all these there's hundreds of deer coming to these big alfalfa fields. I mean, it's nothing to even in the middle of the day to drive by one and there'd be a hundred deer standing out there. They're just everywhere, but they've got nothing else to eat, but that, you know, it, it, you know, those hay fields and they're running pivots on those hay fields. So water's flowing into them and, and uh, they're lush and green, but there's nothing else other than just, I man, it's like dirt most places, you know, unless you get way up higher in the mountains where they're getting some snow and, and some rain, but and it, it, it the ground out there was in poor shape. But right now, deer numbers overall pretty pretty impressive to see the numbers of deer you saw in the days you were there. Oh, uh, the outfitter kind of talked like you know his mule. You know, his populations were down because many of them are dying. I mean, you you might have say you had you're sitting and you had ten deer those walk by or just ten deer in general. Probably three or four of them would be skin and bones. Not going to make it much longer. Mm-hmm. You know, you get a hard winter out there, they're going to knock them back pretty good. But now, you know, the other thing was kind of, you did have a big mule deer population at the same time, but I don't know how much that CWD is affecting the mule deer. And so you'd have, you know, you might have 200 mule deer and then 75 whitetail in the field in the evening, kind of depending on the field that you're in. But every mule deer I saw had either one fawn or two fawns with it. I mean, his mule deer population, but he said it was actually down too. So I, I don't know what, when it was really good, I don't know what it I couldn't imagine what it'd be like because, I mean, it was nothing to see 200 mule deer a night. 
Now the CWD, EHD, are both of those prevalent there? Is I don't pretend to know the difference between um, the two of them, to be honest. I, I don't know about the EHD, and a lot of that is uh, you see so many different things. You know, they get it from stagnant water, really mm -hmm. dry. Now, of course, it's really dry, but the only water source that's coming through there is a creek, and it was dug by some horses 200 years ago or maybe longer than that, and it goes clear up the mountain. So that, And there's... Um, big reservoir up on top of the mountain and they'll open that up. And so that water kind of stays flowing down through there pretty good because they use it for all those pivot fields. So there's not, you know, there's not like a lot of stagnant water sitting around or those creeks got, I mean, they're always kind of flowing. So, I mean, I'm sure it's prevalent there. I know that outfitters out in Montana have dealt with it before and had to wipe them out. And the, but, yeah, the EHD is based on around the water, the midges, I guess, the, the mm -hmm. insects that, end up yeah. uh, getting on the deer and causing disease and spread it that way I, uh, something of that nature I guess isn't it uh, yeah I think it kills about 90% of them to get it now tell us about you how many days did you spend in Wyoming see where you yeah, in so, Sheridan this year yeah we flew into Billings and then uh, from Billings it's about 120 miles over Sheridan so we were I, it was kind of a longer trip than I thought or I thought we were hunting a little more I was invited by the guys at uh, by Brian Fortball, he's one of the editors for Bowhunter Magazine. Kind of one of the, the I guess you call it uh, host or personality that's on Bowhunter TV. Okay. And he had invited me, and so I I, I didn't really pay. I, I'm kind of bad. If I get invited, I just roll with whatever show up. I don't go into great detail and ask a lot of questions. So. We, uh, we kind of, we went first and, and stayed at one of his buddy's places in Billings for a day and then rode over to Sheridan, which wasn't far and then hunted for four days and then, and then flew out, flew out. But it, uh, if we could have done it, or I mean, I could have flown in a little shorter time span, but you know, we went and met Brian's buddy, got to be friends with him. Great guy. And, and, uh, we've got a cool little archery range slash gun range right there in Billings. We went up there and shot and, and that's kind of, you know, if you've ever flown into Billings, it's a big plateau where the airport is and that's where, you know, kind of that bow range is and stuff. So cool place. Beautiful country, isn't it? Yeah. Look. Only problem is there the, the hippies and, <laughs> uh, the, uh, the city folks from California are mm -hmm. moving in and they are, it's sad. Through the pandemic, there's been an influx of people moving to Montana. And the, oh, it's probably really disrupting the folks that live there quite a bit, isn't it? Yeah, the airport was packed. We got in there at 5 a.m. to fly out, and it was packed. And used to fly in there, it'd be cowboy boots, cowboy hats, mm -hmm. and camouflage. And this time <laughs> it was, it was a lot of woke folks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, 20 years from now out there, it's not going to be like it used to be. Yeah. Now, how about your hunts? What what did you hunt mornings or did you, strictly evenings? What did you? Yeah, no, we hunt morning and night. So in the in the mornings, those deer are coming out of those alfalfa fields. I mean, it's you're just hunting a food source. So in the mornings we were and actually we were sitting off the, the one field. We were probably sitting a mile off of it, and I was amazed the number of deer that came by us in the dark that were walking that far. And then we'd sit there, we, we sat the same spot in the afternoon a couple of times. And, you know, those deer two hours before daylight or two hours before dark were walking by us because it was just so far to get to that, that green and between that green field or alfalfa field. And, that, and I mean, I would say that alfalfa field might be a hundred acres to where these deer are going. There's nothing but cattle pasture that's ate to dirt. And then they're going kind of up on the, the mountainside into these thickets. And, and I mean, that's all they got to stay in. Because of the drought, there just ain't no. There's no grass, nowhere to hide, nothing. This, I mean, I mean, you said even in the mornings you'd see fifty or sixty deer, and in the afternoons you'd see a couple hundred. Yeah, you know, I remember watching the hunts out in the Milk River, and I think the Winslow brothers just, uh, on some of those started hunting that Milk River, and just to, yeah, you know, and you know whatever it was, EHD or CWD, uh, you know, kind of clean a bunch of them out there. Yeah, that you was know, EHD. And it, it wiped them out. And then they, they both moved to Iowa. And when I think about, you know, that area, 
I, don't, I have no idea the distance for where that's from Sheridan to there, how far that is. Probably like from here to California or something, you know. But but just when I think about that, that type of area, I always think about the number of deer that used to come out there and watching them, you know, being a. I mean, there's no trees anywhere when you used to hunt, you know, just big alfalfa fields and they're hunting on the edge of a, a drain or something where there was a tree and, you know, just seeing hundreds of deer, yeah. two and 300 deer, and all, maybe yeah, 75, those, 80 bucks, you know, out in the field. It was unbelievable. Yeah, all those deer come through the same spots, walk by the same place, come in, because it's like where I killed my buck at. We were hunting in a, I guess it was like a muddy blind, elevated kind of shooting house. And there was a, that creek or, or that was, I was telling you about an irrigation ditch. There was a crossing right there where you could drive a vehicle across. All them deer come across it. So it's kind of a pinch point, but you know, they, they didn't want to walk across the water. I mean, in, the, in that drainage ditch is pretty steep and, and deep. So they, every one of them come right to that crossing. 30 yards from the blast. Is a tree stand even an option anywhere in there? Do you even have any trees? Yeah, some. You know, they've got some of those big cottonwood trees yeah. running around, you know, those draining ditches and stuff. But uh, I never sat in one. I sat in the blind the whole time. Well, tell us about you, about your kill there. What, evening, morning? It was in the afternoon, so we hunted that morning. We, we had two good bucks come by us. One was in the dark, and then one, these deer, they come across this wide open field. When you see them, they're probably literally half a mile, three quarters of a mile away, and they start coming. And the closer they get, they start running. And they run right up to that crossing, and there was a lip, and you really couldn't see them. And all of a sudden, their head would pop up. And then they'd run across that crossing and up kind of 30 yards up that mountain. If they stopped, you were in business. And the one, it was too dark, but I knew he was a good deer. And then the next one I saw, he just didn't stop and I had two bucks fighting in front of him and I had a antelope come in with him which was odd and I just could never get a shot so we went back and sat there that evening when we hadn't been in there 30 minutes and I it's kind of a rocky hillside I heard some rocks and looked up and good buck was standing right in front of me and I didn't even look at him I just knew he was a decent deer I didn't have a bow arrow knock nothing everything <laughs> so we grabbed it up and what we did what we didn't realize is when they come off that hill and get close at they're a lot calmer in the evening than in the morning and they just walk right up to that that ditch and just kind of hang out stand there some of them get a drink so it was a lot easier in the afternoon and he just was calm as could be and walked right up there and so i shot him i don't i don't know if i think he was the first buck to come by that was in the dark that i couldn't see because the other deer that morning I was close to was a 10 point. This was only nine points. So I think it was that first deer that come by in the dark. I just knew he was a good deer. Just couldn't, way too dark. Did, did you have a lot of tracking on him or did pretty quick recovery? Well, since there's no brush, <laughs> he just kind of ran out there about 200 yards and <laughs> laid down in wide open pasture. There's, you know, wasn't nowhere to hide. Yeah. I mean, if, uh, if you shot something, Mary, he he the, the outfitter told me that it you know he had had a couple get away but it was very rare mm -hmm. there's just nowhere for him to go now what's their biggest predator out there Who who's after him besides you mountain lion in that area he, he at that at that end down by sheridan you're not really getting into grizzly bears yet there's some black bears yeah he they had talked to me they you were about 15 20 miles away before you got into grizzly bears and I guess not, coyotes are everywhere, so I guess you've got coyotes. Or, or Yeah, we heard some coyotes. Never saw any, but heard them. But the thing about um, that I always kind of notice when I'm hunting, especially if you're getting into an area where there's a lot of lions, a lot of predators, they, those mule deer, especially fawns, you, you, they just won't have any fawns. There were so many fawns out there that I think right in that area, either that or they've got somebody there with good lion dogs when they do get lions in that area. They get rid of them pretty quick because mm -hmm. I mean everything had fallen, so there wasn't much of a predator base. Being a you know cattle too in the springtime, when those guys are calving, those lions snatch them up if they can. Oh, yeah. And I would say they they probably work on them pretty good. Yeah, tough for them fawns to make it in some some places, isn't that? Yeah, I, I may have told you this, but uh, my son was talking to a game warden in Kentucky, and he had put a camera on a coyote den back last spring. 
and he counted 30 fawns that were brought like back to that den that had been killed, you know. Dang, oh. And that's a ton, you know. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. and I, I guess you would have to think that that's reasonable, but just hearing that number is, is alarming, you know. So you, yeah, you look, and of course, you know, good healthy doe is going to have, going to have twin, you know, twins typically, and definitely, you know, so I mean, that's, you're, you're, you're thinning them out there pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I dug up a fox den one time when I was a kid, and it had, I don't know, five or six fox pups in it, but that, that mama had caught coons and brought them back in there, and I mean, you know, a big coon up north, way about what a, what a red fox will weigh. Mm-hmm. She had killed coons, I bet you there was probably 40 or 50 ground moles and bowls she brought in there turkey eggs there was you wouldn't believe how much stuff she brought in there for the, the pups to eat yeah when there's nothing left when there's all other species are gone on the earth there'll still be a coyote or two around i would imagine wouldn't mm-hmm. you? <laughs> they're hard to get rid cock, of you can't get rid of and wild hogs yeah <laughs> <laughs> well what's the what's the rest of the hunting season or early season look like for you what do you got planning going next yeah huh? i'm gonna go to kansas and uh, when will you hit out there I don't really know. Sometime in November, probably around the second week. And then as soon as I leave there, I'll go hunt Ohio and, or vice versa, just kind of playing it by ear. And that's pretty much it. And I'll, you know, I'll take the kids down here, but we've got, uh, like my, my boss is headed, uh, New Mexico tomorrow for a muzzleloader hunt, which I, those are always good. If you can draw that tag, everyone, of course, I think there was 16 of us here that that put in, and, and uh, two people grew. It's just tough to get. I've been putting in for 12 years and never draw. You don't get no points out there, and but if you draw, it's it's a good hunt. You can kill, you'll kill a good elk. And so they head out there, and I think after that, and then of course Jake's at uh, he went to Oklahoma, and uh, they're they're doing a bow hunt out there right now. And oh, he's there as we speak. There at uh, yeah, yeah, they left, I think, yesterday, and so they probably hunted this morning. He's got uh, folks from Academy out there, so it should be a good hunt. Mm-hmm. They're hunting with Justin Akins, yeah, it's a good, good place in Oklahoma. And now, will you do much yourself there around Mississippi? Do you do, do you much in October? Or is it pretty quiet during that time? Well, a lot of mosquitoes, yeah, and uh, it's We've had so much rain. I don't have any food plots put in. Of course, my lease is next to a, it's part of a swamp, and then the rest of it is a, it's pretty low ground. So we've had so much rain. I got some of it bush hole. Don't have any plots planted because it's just bone dry. Mm-hmm. I mean, not dry enough to do anything. And of course, every other day it's rained a couple inches. It's just mud hole. Yeah. You know, so, we've had we've had opposite up here, and we had pretty good rain all the way until about when we needed it. You know, now farmers needed it all year, so they got pretty good as far as food plots. And I've been, I have replanted in northern Missouri and then over in southern Illinois at least three times. Uh, food, you know, since August fifteenth, was try to shoot for that August fifteenth. Whenever rain comes, you know, around that time, try to hit it right before and. And got a little bit in both places, and then just nothing. You know, so I had to do a little spot planting and replanting. Actually, even planted a little bit here just a week ago. Some wheat and rye and some oats a little bit, just yeah, trying I, to get something to come up. Yeah, if I can get, if I just get about, I was close. Like, there's some ditches right next to my hunt club that when they get dry enough, I can get in there. And every time they'd be close, then we'd get two more inches of rain. Like, they're filled up right now. I just, but... If I could get, I, mean, I, I even if I could get in there in November, I'll just throw out some ryegrass. By mm-hmm. you know, end of January, it'll be up. And, you know, something will be eating on it, but everything else, nothing else is going to get done. Yeah, so you know, I, October, early October has really has been my favorite time. Really, the whole season for many years, I've always felt like that was the best time to get in and get on one when they're just kind of untouched, unpressured, and kind of in that same routine. And and I've got shoot more cameras up now than I've ever had. I've got about 30 cell cameras up, probably 50 cameras total. More than I need, but still wanting more. I think everybody kind of gets into that situation early season of where the heck do bucks go? 
Uh-huh. You know, they're still there somewhere. It's almost like they go underground, but I guess with the testosterone levels rising up as the velvet comes off and they get closer to the rut, and of course food sources change and everything else, it just, and not to mention, you know, season starting in September, September 1st, September 15th, and October 1st, everybody's in, so the pressure's in the woods, so that changes them. And, you know, I, I've got one pretty good sized food plot that does look pretty good there in northern Missouri, and I planted a plot screen around it because it's somewhat visible to a, it's not a county road, but it's a, just a farm road. You know, there's a lot of activity in there, farming, which they're mm-hmm. used to. But I planted that plot screen, sorghum and Egyptian, Egyptian wheat, so it, 15 foot tall, this really made a wall around the whole thing. So they were just popping out in that thing all the time and not bedding very far off of it. Of course, I'm, I'm getting some good deer in there. I was tempted to get in there. You know, we had a couple of good days and, and I couldn't go. A couple of other days, the conditions were pretty good and saw 15, my first set that I, that I was there and had a kind of the one I was, had my eye on, but he didn't get in range and snuck out of there thinking they don't know I'm here. You know, sat there well after dark till the deer had left the field and went on to a bean field. But, you know, in my mind, I'm wondering how long I'm, I'm tempted to be here again, you know. So mm-hmm. how long before I run them off and don't even know I'm running them off. So waited a few, four or five days. The conditions were pretty good again. Went in, saw, I think, 12 that time and had a, one pretty good one at 25 yards. I actually pulled back on and let off because I <clears throat> wasn't quite sure. Couldn't see through my pins. Good, about one minute left of shooting light. Waited in the stand again, you know, 30 minutes or whatever after dark till I could sneak out. Hunted it one more time here this past weekend. Saw zero, <laughs> you know. So, you know, I'm wondering how how much did my eagerness, you know, get in there? Did I? I think some of it's we've got a good acorn crop too. So, yeah, white oak acorns are dropping, and just ton of them, you know, big as the end of your thumb and everywhere in there. So they're not not coming to it, which will help save the food plot for a little bit. But yeah, as soon as them acorns hit, they just they go right to them. Like I, are, are your, the beans are probably starting to turn up there. They are, yeah. So they're about, yeah. you, you know, they're they're not really interested in them anymore. Yeah, everything here has turned brown and acorns are dropping. I, I, one of the guys here, he got in the lease with me this year. He's like, well, a couple, or probably a month ago, he started putting out cameras. He's like, I'm just not getting any pictures. I said, yeah, they're all in them beans. My lease is probably surrounded by, I don't even know thousand acres of beans this year and probably another 300 acres of corn so you know where the deer are at well now the corn's picked and the beans are close but the acorns start dropping and last Mm -hmm. week he's like i'm starting to get bucks now i'm like yeah uh, yeah where they were eating gone chain as soon as the acorns start dropping on that place they they bail up in there the the number one food choice for them in it Mm -hmm. yeah when them them beans those leaves are good and green and they're just not traveling very far. If you don't have a camera right on their straight line from A to B trail to, you know, and a lot of times they don't bet, bet off in fields 15, 20 yards or sometimes we're not that far. They just ain't moving much. If you don't have a camera there, it looks like, well, we're non-existent, you know, that, that they're there. But yeah, my cameras right now are pretty much, you know, on on that food source still from summer being the food plot. So guy probably needs to kind of adjust them around or start putting them on scrapes because they're hitting that. You know, I watched two or three of those first couple of good nights I had, you know, working scrape a little bit, not, not yeah. too much, but just, just trying her out, you know, just leaving, leaving well, you don't say, I mean, it's, run will kick in in three weeks. When you think about it, it's, it's yeah, that's you know, what, it doesn't yeah. feel like it. No, when you said that, I thought, what the heck are you talking about? But yeah, it's, Oct- yeah. <laughs> it's October the, whatever it is, 7th, so yeah. 7th, I mean. Sure is. You start hitting 21 that. 21 days, you're looking at November 1st. Mm-hmm. You start hitting that last week in October here and it starts gets rolling pretty good now illinois where i've killed my two i've hunted illinois for the last 30 years and hunted it more than anywhere else even missouri where i live in last two years i've killed a we've been on a new property went from having a few thousand acres to hunt that we just love to having about 85 acres you know somewhere around there Uh, and i've killed my two biggest bucks on this 85 acre piece that just has a power line running through it no agriculture around it at all uh the, the scary part with it is or is we don't have any bucks early i mean none zero not even one passing through just by mistake traveling to see relatives <laughs> you know nothing and so i've had cameras up there since july the first right you know right before the fourth of july and i've the only buck i've gotten on camera is one spike i've got one spike on this property about six or 
six or eight does and that is it and i still don't have it but you know as the agricultural fields kind of uh, well the bean fields are already turning but they'll start they typically the last two years that's all the data i got it's the last two but start coming in there you know checking those does and looking and they'll stay in there kind of the rest of the year and that's what's uh-huh. happened the last two but you know right now it's just not been i, I haven't even hunted illinois just because there's nothing there yet so kind of waiting on to get some pictures of it but yeah and i've on that 80 something acres i've got over 10 cameras 10 or 12 cameras on it so i know when they get there but they're not there but it makes it kind of scary when you all you got is one little spike you know and actually actually i actually did get a four-pointer the other day come through a little four-pointer yeah they'll uh, show up they they ought to be there when the time's right but i I like being over in Illinois and sitting in a tree, but I don't want to go in there now when there's nothing there. Yeah, swatting mosquitoes, because our temperatures have been been pretty warm here up in the 80s, and they're going to continue to be for a while. So, so far, it's kind of a warm October. But Yeah, that's, that's kind of the way it is. That big deer that I almost killed in Kansas last year, he's still alive. Have you got and, pictures uh, of him? The neighbors do. Kind of the, the property he hangs out in, it's kind of like you're saying, he doesn't come in there. Till the rut gets close a lot of does live in that thicket and he's gonna come up in there when them does start coming in the heat and last year he'd come in get one and then he you know he'd take her out of there he'd go off to kind of by himself and, and two or three times we saw him up on some ridges and it's thickets and it'd just be him and, and a doe and then you know of course when she's done he'd come back in there and i'd get pictures of him or see him crossing the road and then but he made it and, any uh, word on his size? Do they, you know, if he's any, if he's bigger or I same? Think he's 200. Or is he? 200? I think he's two hundred, but I haven't seen a picture of him yet. Because he was he one, got some other good bucks, but nothing, nothing that compared to him. You thought he was one ninety, didn't you, last year? Mm-hmm. And you had a close he's up big. picture. You had a good picture of him. Well, yeah, uh, yeah. I had him at fifteen yards. and couldn't get him. <laughs> yeah, he knew you, and you knew him. Yeah, you saw him up close and personal. Well, hopefully, oh. hopefully he'll cooperate with you and give you an opportunity yeah if he does you'll probably hear me yelling <laughs> any any preseason uh or not preseason because we're in season but any early season uh thoughts or advice you'd give to folks uh you mock scrape guy at all is best to let them do let them handle it let them let yeah, the deer do you it know, the key is you know and i get a lot of it here i'm talking with a lot of the guy you know the key is just not it, with cameras, it's making sure, well, wait until that deer's, you know, getting daylight pictures of him. You know, then you, you know, it's making sure the wind's right and using everything you can to not let him know you're there. Mm-hmm. I mean, just going hunting and go hunting. And I know people love to do that. And, you know, if that's what you want to do, hey, that's great. And, you know, this time of year, like you're saying, you know, they're starting to scrape, you know, acorns are falling. But if you're hunting a particular deer, the key is just wait till he's got the right the right day. He's going to be on his feet. And, you know, you might have to wait 10, 15 days. And, but once he shows up, then, you know, then go hunting. Mm-hmm. That's uh, Less is really more when it comes down to, because you, you don't, I mean, you leave there and I've left there before. And my goal is always to go in there almost like somebody's hunting me, you know, where they, they don't know I'm there. And that's why I try to approach it. But, and that's all good and well. And I've left there many times feeling like there wasn't a deer knew I was there. And that's, and that's true. But then yeah. the sense you leave behind, even just a minute amount, and anybody that's worked with dogs and, you know, coon dogs or tracking dog, bird dogs, know how they can pick up scent, you know, you know days later. Mm-hmm. So that scent lingers. You climb down your tree and get out of there and you're leaving scent all over that tree and deer walks by there two in the morning you left at seven he knows there's you know humans been there and you, you don't really think about those kind of things so our eagerness sometimes yeah, get out there can can over uh, overwhelm you a little bit on on what your results might be later on yeah and there's all kinds of stuff i mean you can wear rubber boots that helps and there's you know just going the way you walk in that a lot of deer don't walk in that way hey you know wind's the most important and trying to be as quiet and you know get into a spot without like you say anything anybody noticing you but you know it's, it's just wait you know it just kind of depends on you know everybody hunts for different reasons so if, if you're just hunting to go feed your family or you like being in the woods have at it uh, you know me personally i'm gonna pick and choose the days i go i want to you know 
wind's got to be right. You know, watch the weather temperature. I mean, that's big. If it's hot, and especially in the south, you're just not going to see much. Deer just aren't going to move. Now, it gets cold down here, they're going to be on their feet. Plus, you know, down here, you're going to fight mosquitoes if you want to go sit in a tree stand with a thermocell and, and you get carried away. But I'm going to probably, you know, once I find a deer, if he's one I want to hunt, I'm going to wait till it's just about right. And most of the time, you do that. I mean, you see these guys, Lamar Juries, Ben Rising, or, you know, Lee Lukoski and some of these guys, they, 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 they they'll wait a month before they hunt that a deer mm-hmm. that they're going to hunt until they know it's perfect. And a lot of times when that first time they go in there is when they kill them. It's just, that's <laughs> just the way to do it. I mean, explain it. The hard part of that too, I know for people is when you love to hunt, you want to go every chance you get. Yeah, you do. And you know, my, my advice on that is I'd have a place. If you just love to hunt, go shoot some does. And if you got a deer you're trying to kill, stay out of that area until it's it's perfect. Yeah. Because you're just not gonna you're just gonna mess it up and he's gonna leave or go nocturnal and you're never gonna see him. Yeah. And it's and that's it's a good point there. And you know, I, I'm I'm one of those people that I just I like being a tree. So anytime you know, for for the past thirty plus years I could be in one, I was gonna be in one. And but you just gotta realize that may compromise some stuff. But if you like being in there and you live for that time of the year, heck, get out there and get in it. Just know it may you may it, it may hurt your results, you know, as far as getting that big one. But like you said, finding another place to do that to get in a tree without messing up maybe the one that you're after, if you can. Like down here, I don't get to hunt anymore. I have to take my kids. If I'm going, my sons, one of or even my daughter, she killed a deer last year. She's gonna go. So I just you know I, I just go hunt, and you know we see what we see. But I like when I go to Kansas or. You know, Ohio, if it's not right, uh, we're not, you know, I'm not going in there. I mean, there, there's days in Kansas I may not hunt for two or three days. If the weather's bad and the wind's bad, I just ride the roads, yeah. look for deer, you know, and, or, you know, work on stuff from work because, you, you know, I'm not going to mess it up. It's too important to me to do that. Yeah. And, and uh, but now at home, you know, we, we just go to go. Mm-hmm. You know, kids like going and I, and I enjoy them sitting there whacking stuff. So, yeah. If it comes by and they want to shoot it, have at it. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, not, nothing better. Good, best memories you can, best time you can spend. Oh, you know, yeah. You know, I, li- I listened to a podcast a bunch, Nine Finger Chronicles. It's called the Nine Finger uh, Chronicles because the guy's got, only got nine fingers. He's, he, yeah. lost, he lost four. I got, a, I got a buddy of mine. He works for Hook. His name is Bo- Nine Finger Bob. <laughs> well, you know, the Nine Fingers there, Dan Johnson's his name, and he used to always, at the end of his podcast, he'd say, wear your damn safety harness. You know, so I mentioned that to say, be safe. You know, I had a guy that uh, retired here where I work come in to see me last week, and he's up in his 60s now, and uh, his dad worked for Browning for years. So he, since he's been a kid, he's got to go hunt all over the country with his dad. Now, of course, he's in his 60s, and he still hunts everywhere, you know, and he's hunted every type of species just about there is and just loves it. Well, he picked up a lease in northern Missouri, and I'd heard he'd been in an accident, but I wasn't quite sure what it was, so I just, and I hadn't seen him in a while. I said, didn't you? And he looked good, but I said, didn't, didn't you have an accident a while back? So he was telling me he picked up this lease uh, in uh, kind of north-central Missouri, and he said he was the first one that's had permission to hunt it. Some guys had been hunting it, but they weren't supposed to be on there. They'd been trespassing to get in there, and they were upset that he was getting it, although, again, they should have never been on it in the first place. It wasn't like they lost it, it just, <laughs> but they'd been sneaking in. So first day of season, this is I think two seasons ago, he goes in to hunt that morning, gets there, he's got a camera not far from his from his tree stand, he had a ladder stand there. He notices the camera's gone, so somebody stole his camera. So he's kind of fired up already, he goes, then I get to my tree, well my life, he's got a lifeline on there, they attach his harness to to go up. He goes, it's gone. He goes, I'm fired up. You know, these guys, they don't want me in here and he knew it, but you know, they didn't have permission in the first place. and. So he's fired up. Well, he doesn't, he climbs up the tree, goes up the ladder, gets in the stand, and doesn't realize that they also removed the ratchet straps on his on his stand. So that thing, oh. so that thing just leaning up there, 22 footer. And he said, you know, I, I just thought when I saw that, I, I was just, I got mad first of all, I was upset, so I didn't even check that. But I thought that, well, they're just letting their presence be known that they ain't happy with me trying to run me out of here. I didn't think they were trying to kill me, you know, so he goes, I just didn't even think to look at the straps, but he said he 
sit down and on it. And of course, it was fine. He didn't notice it. But then like he got up to shift his weight, kind of get settled. Well, that standing just come off the tree, you know, because it wasn't attached. And he said, of course, I'm in the dark, 22 foot up. He said, so I was able to ride it down as it went for as long as I could. He goes, then I just jumped as far as I could jump. Now he's in this, you know, 65 years old probably. Lands on both feet somehow, but then his feet, it had rained, I guess. So his feet kind of slide out from under him. He said, it's a good thing it did because then I slid quite a ways. If that stand would have come down and hit me in the head, he goes, that would have killed me. But he ends up breaking, I think his L1, his oh. back. So he's not able to, he can't walk. No one knows really where he's at. He has to, he crawls out of there. It takes him like four hours to crawl. He said he crawled through a creek and he said, I had no idea it was as deep as it was because I didn't pay any attention when I walked in. I just walked through it, had on knee boots. That he said, just about drowned. He couldn't keep his head above water. Gets back to his truck, pulls himself in it. And he said, it took me forever to try to, you know, and the guy works out a bunch. He said, probably if I had, I couldn't have pulled myself in the truck. Drives through Columbia, Missouri. Of course, it's, it's a, you know, big town there. But, and so there's a hospital, but he didn't know where it was. So he just keeps driving. He was driving to, going to drive to the Washington, Missouri hospital because he knew where that was. Calls his uh, son, says, hey, I've been in a bad accident. It's bad, you know, and I don't know if I can uh, paralyze. I don't know, but it's bad and meet me at the hospital. Well, the boy calls uh, the guy's uncle and they're at the hospital. Well, he gets seven miles from the hospital. He runs out of gas. <laughs> and so he's oh. got to call his son. Hey, I'm stranded. So they come get him, carry him out of the vehicle. And he said, doctor comes in, looks at me, and he's, you know, he's concerned. I can tell. He said, he steps out and the priest steps in. The priest, uh, you know, wants to pray with him. Like, you know, he said, I knew things didn't look good. Uh, they were worried about internal injuries, internal bleeding, things they couldn't see. And the doctor wanted to do, uh, he said, basically put chicken wire around his spine, lower spine there with some other things. And he said, we're not going to do that. He said, whatever's the least invasive you can do, we'll do that. So he ended up putting a couple of screws in there. And, and he said three weeks later, he was in, uh, he was bass fishing somewhere. He told the doctor, and the doctor's like, you're doing what? You're not supposed to be doing anything. I said, feel great. I said, you had any problems? He goes, no, I haven't had any. And he just got very lucky. Here's so many stories of, of, of people getting, you know, paralyzed or, or impaling themselves with a sapling they cut off to get out of the way under the tree or whatever it may be. Did they catch the guys that did that? They come back, the sheriff went out to the property and kind of looked at everything and knew what had happened, had a pretty good idea who had been messing around. And they came back again later on and talked to him and said, uh, we know who did it. We're hundred percent, no, but we don't have the proof, but we know who it is. And so this guy asked him, said, well, don't tell me who it is. I don't want to know because I'd feel compelled to retaliate somehow because they tried to kill me because he said, I'm just hoping that they didn't mean to kill me. That's the only thing that kind of keeps me sane, you know, as far as revenge. He said that they just wanted to run me off, but never intended me to thought, well, I'll look up a tree and say everything's gone and to just hey, get out of here. Hopefully that's all they meant versus they was trying to hurt me. So he doesn't know, but I said, I bet you had any problem with trespassers either. Have you? He goes, no, they, they ain't been back on there, but. Yeah, just awful I, well, I, well, I was in Wyoming. My wife calls me and says, "Hey, there's a so my property that I have leased is kind of in in four sections because there's a creek and a road that runs through the middle of it. And I'll get some people that park there at, the, at there's a at the bridge and just fish right there. So I don't ever say, you know, my, and most of the time it's local guys. And I, they're just, they're fishing for their dinner." Yeah. I know who they are. They they don't have no money, and they're you know probably. I mean, they're just trying to catch some catfish. So she comes by the other day, and there's a car park, and there's a a woman coming out of the woods. And my wife stops and says, "Hey, you're trespassing. You need to leave." And she said this woman was cracked out of her mind on drugs. It was mumbling and stuff. My wife said, "You need to leave. I'm calling the sheriff." Hey, Gina ain't gonna mess with her, is she? She, no, <laughs> she don't even mess with Gina. Gina. She had the kids in the car, oh. so they, they they left. This was on Friday or Thursday, and she said she came back down and the car was gone. The next day, the car's back. She sees the woman again, and she said, look, I told you, you need to leave. And so she calls me, and she, and she goes, I don't know how to, who to get a hold, so I call the game warden. And by, by this time, I, it was like 10 o'clock at night. I said, look, I got some issues down there on the bridge i said there's some woman down there my wife says every time she's seen her she's just blasted out of her mind typical crackhead 
and uh, I said, you need to go, you know, check it out. And he said, okay, you know, we'll get down there and check it out. So the game warden texted me that morning and said, hey, we took care of your problem. He said, the woman was down there hiding her boyfriend. The boyfriend was camped out under the bridge. Was, Thank goodness my wife didn't get out. He had yeah. warrants out for his arrest. So he was down there hiding. And then his, I guess his girlfriend was going and getting food and stuff and you know whatever else dope they were doing. So they went in there, arrested him, and then you know hauled her off too. It's like, geez. oh yeah, Gene was of course yeah, Gene a little old thing, but people don't want to mess with Gene on yeah, on a well, normal basis. But you got to be careful with stuff like that, you know. Oh, you know? well, you know where I live in the middle yeah. of nowhere. So I mean, for somebody to think, oh hey, I'm just gonna go. I mean. I just couldn't believe I'd be down there doing that. But mm-hmm. when you're hiding from the law, yeah. of course, I, if I go down there anytime I get an issue with somebody, I just tote a gun and say, mm-hmm. yeah, you got an issue, we'll solve it right now. Yeah. But, yeah, you can't. I mean, some of these people are just idiots. They, they are. And, you know, people have no respect a lot of times for other people's properties. You know, I you know years ago, a fella would let me hunt on, and some people were sneaking in on him. And, you know, he went out there. He's the nicest guy in the world. And, you know, it's told him, hey, you know, Got other people hunting on his place. Still, don't need you on here. Or come ask me for permission. Or you know, he nice as he could be. Well, they come back and set the place, set try to set the woods on fire, burn uh, all kinds of stuff down. When you think about that in a rational sense, how does that make sense? They should be thankful for whatever many times they got to hunt, yeah. how many fish they caught, or squirrels they killed, or whatever. But no, hey, you ain't let me. I'm gonna burn. I'm gonna burn your farm down. Yeah, and that's not well, an isolated that, story. Yeah, the guy that I leased from he doesn't live there and so he always worries that if he says something they know he's not around they're gonna do something yeah. so he's turned all that over to me mm-hmm. so i got all the authority to, to hammer whoever <laughs> i i enjoyed doing i caught a guy last year <laughs> he was down there screwing around on his wife had his girlfriend and he was in there riding around on a four-wheeler and i just walked up and asked him what he was doing and he told me oh he, he told me it was his daughter well of course she wasn't his daughter <laughs> I just pulled the key out, said, okay, I'll be back. And he looked at me like, because I'm sure I wasn't going to let him leave. I just took the key right out of the, out of the uh, vehicle. <laughs> off I went. Called the sheriff. He come down there. And where I live takes about 30 minutes for the sheriff to get there. So the sheriff showed up. Of course, rode him up and all this. And I walked up when it was fixed. When we were done, I gave the sheriff the key. And he looked at me and said, what's that? I said, oh, that's a key to it. I said, I took it before I left so he couldn't go nowhere. <laughs> Just, I'll help the department out any way I can. You just call me. I'll help you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, nobody thinks you just go reach in there and take the no, off. No, huh? I'd catch him off. He'd be so shocked. He wouldn't even think to stop you, you know? So. Yeah. They just looked at me like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> Game over, buddy. Have you? How many years have you had that lease? Uh, probably 10. Is your problems there? lessened over the years they stay about the same once people know you're serious yeah that, everybody around there for the most part everybody that lives around there is really good and I've got mm-hmm. the guys at least property that border me are really great neighbors and uh, that and the, the funny thing is they've had the issues with the same people I've had issues yeah. with and so you know yeah usually people they all the know and if they the, get itched usually it's not the problem with the neighbors is it yeah that I mean we kind of know who who does does what after being there a while, but it's get it gets less and less. You know those those people that were one time trespassing or doing stupid stuff get older, and then yeah. too once you catch them, and you know they they try to smart off or you know do something, and all of a sudden they realize ah that wasn't a real good idea. They they kind of learn. Yeah, yeah, they do. You know it is amazing, and just how some people feel like they have the authority or the right to go on anybody's property yeah, usually it's not the neighbors or the landowners it's the, the yeah. people that just feel like they have a right to go in there on anybody and hunt anywhere yeah, that's kind of the, the good thing about where it is now is it, the, the property that's all around it has been either owned or leased by the same people forever so it's not like you get some riffraff well my granddaddy let me hunt this and I've been hunting it for years well mm-hmm. yeah it, it, everybody's had this for years and you're not you know you don't get a lot of that you yeah. know there's no no new folks coming in so it, it's it works pretty good and I got I'm friends with all those guys so that helps a bunch and we're going to be next podcast we'll be visiting with uh, Gary Robertson give us a little breakdown a little yeah, Gary, preview of Gary 
Yeah, I've known Gary for probably close to 25 years. He, uh, of course, he, he's, he owns Burner Brother Game Calls. Me and him were partners on a carnivore TV show that we had. He still is, is running the show, and uh, he's a phenomenal guy. He's, uh, I, I don't know, uh, you know, he, I mean, he's been around the, the hunting industry forever. He's, he's been a writer. He's hosted camps. Just a great guy. I've been on Mossio Pro Staff for probably 30 years. It's probably one of the leading authorities when it comes to predator hunting in uh, in the U.S. I mean, just a just a heck of a guy. But he he's also very intelligent. Knows animals, knows critters, and and he's from kind of South Texas, Menard, uh, Texas, where he lives. And he's got a small shop there. And and he just I mean, he's kind of ran that shop and he also sells some property on the side and does some of that but that's kind of all he's done for many years um i, th- I think at one time he was president of the bank out there but he kind of retired from that and uh but he's just a he's a heck of a guy and a heck of a, a heck of a predator hunter i'm looking forward to visit with him probably knows a lot you know about tracking i'm sure and scent and oh yeah all that good stuff all things that can relate to all uh, types of hunting so and he's, I mean, he's hunting with all those old, old time predator guys that aren't around anymore and old mm-hmm. trappers. And he's a big hounds guy too. He's got blue ticks and he's, he's sold a lot of lion dogs and he's, uh, he's, he's been around the block for sure. Very interesting guy. Now you got, uh, you got a bass tournament coming up shortly too? Yeah, I'm headed, uh, today okay. I'm headed up to the junior high high school national championship up in uh, it's up in tennessee they hold it uh on a private thousand acre lake um and it's it it starts tonight well you know they'll have their kind of their uh meeting tonight we give them some product and then they'll fish friday and saturday and uh crown champion but it's usually pretty good fishing usually they have it in the summertime and they've moved it back so it ought to be, uh, the last couple of years, it's been a middle of July, and it's just tough to catch fish that time of year when it's 100 degrees. So going into fall, it ought to be a little better uh, tournament, I think. And I think there's, oh, about 60 or 70 teams in it. So you have to qualify for it. So it'll be a good tournament for it's, kids. It's been awful good. These programs have been really good for a lot of young kids to kind of get them started. And Mossy yeah. Oak's been good at really promoting that. You know, we've got schools here, not not all of them, but what majority of schools, Mississippi, Tennessee, that area, are, you know, have a bass program, a bass fishing team, if you down, will? Down here a lot. I, I wouldn't know what the majority is. I know it's, the fa- I think it's passed up Little League Baseball as far as growth, the rate of growth. Um, I mean, they're, they're popping up everywhere, and it's really easy. Just, I mean, if your school doesn't have one, you could just call BASS and they can help you set one up and, and it doesn't have to be ran through your school. You can actually run it through your county. So if, you know, say you live in a county and you just got two kids and they go to different schools, but they want to start a fishing team, you can do that. Um, or you can run it through your school. There's schools that might have 50 kids on their, their bass fishing team and there's schools that might have four. It just it really just depends on uh, location and the school and how big the programs are. But, it doesn't even though that that school might have 50 kids it don't make a difference to Mm -hmm. you know compete against school that just has four because you can and if you're catching them you're gonna win the tournament yeah yeah and and two the it's pretty fun you go out and watch these tournaments the boats that these these kids bring in because you know you go to a, a like an elite or a professional tournament they're all driving a brand new ranger or bass cat or phoenix boats and you go to these high school tournaments and and the expensive junior high tournaments you know they're fishing with their parents boat or you know whatever they can afford so you might have a 1970 model ski boat out there with two kids fishing in it they got a cooler with an aerator in it to keep their fish alive and then you might have somebody roll up in a brand new boat but mm-hmm. it's pretty entertaining seeing just the vast array of, of what shows up at those events that them kids fish out of and they do it because they love it Man, that's what they enjoy doing. They don't they don't play baseball or, or basketball or, or like that. They're mm-hmm. on a fishing team, and, and uh, they'll be, you know, mom and dads will be out there grilling and and 
they'll be set up like a tailgate waiting on their kids to come in and, and weigh in. So it's, it's fun to go to them. Can get kids involved at an early age. You know, when I shoot 40 years ago, I guess when I'd have been in, uh, or more than that in, in junior high school and we had basketball, that was it. You know, now high school, we had baseball. We didn't, we didn't have football in high school, but if you didn't play basketball, you weren't involved in anything, you know, and now that our state athletic association offers bass fishing as a, as a team, as a sport at a school, uh, we've got at least one school in our county that uh, has a bass fishing team and just gets kids. And again, I, I love basketball, baseball, football. I'd like to go play it today, but at 54, my, my chances of uh, playing it are slim, the chance of, you know, having a compound fracture are strong, you know, so and you're teaching kids something that's going to last them forever, you know, to, to go fish. And you get just developing kids' confidence, you know, whether they're catching fish or not. Just something for them to look forward to, to get out in the outdoors. Yeah. And it's, it, it's been a good thing. I think you'll continue to see it see it grow as, as time goes on. Yeah, not every kid is a football or basketball player. No. But, you know, if they don't like that, you know, they had the archery in the school program. Mm-hmm. They got bass fishing. They, they uh, The NRA has a youth hunter education challenge. Um, so there's different programs for outdoors just because a kid doesn't like sports or you know he may just not be talented enough um, to do sports but there's other there's you know other stuff they can do that are considered a sport and you know that's what's you know you get those bass fishing deals it's you just get a wide array of kids like the one that I'm heading to today they'll be um, the way it's set up two kids will, will fish as a team and then they'll have a parent or a coach in a boat with them that drives and they're not allowed to help them. I mean, they might, you know, they can discuss stuff with them, but they can't fish and, and, you know, throw a bait caster for them or tie anything on the kids have to do that. But you'll have kids that are, are anywhere from second grade, uh, up this term goes up to eighth grade. So, I mean, you'll have, you know, a little kid come in there that might weigh 50 pounds catching, you know, have, 20 pound bag of fish and, and beat an eighth grader that, that weighs 200 pounds. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's pretty comical to, you know, see these kids come in and they're excited. Yeah. But they, that's what they love to do. I bet so. Well, all right, you we'll let you get, uh, get to it and I'll get to the rest of my day. Probably see or talk to you before the day's out. We'll Go uh, deal with, with COVID. And, that's right. All those nice positive things we're dealing with. Yeah. Just, yeah. Deal with I just got a while I was sitting here, I got a text from my wife. Somebody in my son's class was positive for COVID. At the, the littlest one, so at the private school. So well, yeah, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully he was far enough away for the right amount of time. He's probably had it. He, yeah, he, I had it. He might be one a couple of days off. Yeah, he, yeah, he'd go. He hates school as it is. He won't. <laughs> I mean, I'm already fighting him at kindergarten. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, take yeah. him, take him, take him fishing tournament day. He'll enjoy that. Yeah. I may take him Saturday. He'll get a kick out of it. All right, shit. Hey, we'll we'll talk at you next time. Shoot ya. We'll see you, man. All right. See you, shit. Thank you for spending time today with Shed and I as we discuss his early season Wyoming hunt. I'm a little uh, behind on getting this podcast aired as uh, I've been spending a little bit more time away from the desk and a whole lot more time in the tree stand as we're right in the middle now of, uh, of deer season. So that's taking me away from other duties, I guess. Anyway, I want to mention that uh, Gary Robertson, uh, Burnham Brothers Game Calls, and Carnivore TV will be on our next podcast episode. Again, I want to thank you for listening, and as always, we learned everything we knew down on Foshi Creek.